Hello and welcome to the Deep Bible Studies podcast where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Claudia Rivera Guevarez, and today we will be going through part two of John 7, 10-19. And so, as I always say, let's just get started. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. I don't know if you guys caught the fact that in verse 11 it says the Jews, and then in verse 12 it says the people. So let's talk about the difference between those two. Well, there's definitely an implication based in the context and the continual placement of the words the Jews, that they were the people seeking to kill Jesus and arrest him, who were hostile authorities of Judea plotting his death. That is why they ask, where is he? Most likely to exercise their man-centered plan to kill him. But as we saw in the last passage from chapter 7, it was not his time yet according to the will of God. And since the Passover feast was near, there were pilgrims of all kinds of Jews, such as the Galileans, the Judeans, the Diaspora Jews. As John MacArthur comments in his commentaries, it is, it's very obvious by the varying comments that they make that the Jews and accounts of Jesus were spread all over the nation of Israel. So this is why there is no denial that Christ existed and that he is who he says he is. This is the most eyewitness account in history about a single person. And that is only one of many witnesses of who he is as we see in John 5. So you can go back to the episode where we break down this in John 5, 30 through 47. So it says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true which is John, where he says, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that he, the Father, has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So he's seen all these different witnesses that are greater than man. Let's continue on. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed in Moses, you would have believed in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? 
Even with all the incredible witnesses, we see that the people clearly either had superficial intentions and we see that when they go, oh, he is a good man, or they had clear rejection of him when they say he is leading people astray. Mankind is the worst kind of blind man, let's be honest. We're the ones that don't know that we're blind and we deny even that we're blind. Verse 13 says, yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So Christ says in Matthew 10, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. But do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me in front of men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. It is promised that the children of God will not only face opposition, but persecution. My dad told me the story about this man who was about to be thrown into a furnace for believing in Christ. And when the guard who would punish him asked him if he was scared and questioned his peace, the man replied that he was not scared for what would last eight minutes, but he instead told him that he should be scared for what would last an eternity in the wrath of God. I was incredibly shaken by that and I prayed asking the Lord for his assurance to overcome me during persecution if that were to happen in my lifetime, that I wouldn't deny Christ who saved me from eternal punishment alone by his grace, but instead extend that grace to others and be able to stand firm in it. For truly, who would exchange an eternity with God himself for a couple of years of pleasure on earth? Kind of reminds me of the verse where it says, what would do good to a man if he gained the whole world but lost his soul? And so Proverbs 29, 24 through 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. This is such a beautiful proverb. I feel like Proverbs can be so underappreciated. We think that a hundred years of simple pleasure in exchange of an eternity in the very presence of an eternal God, your creator, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who willingly died for sinners in place so that forgiveness and reconciliation of guilty sinners with himself would be just impossible, is better and more realistic just because we can't see him. The reality of the fear of man really leads to ultimate fear of God. And not just because of reverence, but because of justice being exercised. But again, getting out of hell is not the reason why we trust and obey the Savior. John Piper explains in a sermon, Now, I'm asking you, why do you want to be forgiven by God? To get out of hell? It's not wrong not to want to be in hell. I don't want to go to hell. To have a clear conscience? To have a better marriage? To have a medal hung around your neck? and God favor you, those are not the end of forgiveness. I'll read you the end of forgiveness. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That is 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died so that you would glorify him by enjoying him forever. 
Christ died to purchase your everlasting happiness and joy in God because your happiness in God magnifies him. If you're not supremely joyous in God above all other things, you are not glorifying God. You glorify what you find most pleasure in. And for this, he died so that Christ would be magnified by your being satisfied supremely in him at the cost of your life. Verses 14 through 15 say, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So this teaching was not from simple learned wisdom. No, the source of this teaching is God, the Father. It began with the eternal. He who had no beginning and has no end. The authority of his teaching and the word of God himself as God the Son. Verse 17, this says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am teaching from my own authority. I believe this to be such an amazing verse because those who are genuinely in Christ and how Pastor John MacArthur would describe them, fundamentally committed to doing the will of God, they will be led and guided by the Lord himself as we have pondered upon before. His guiding us will only continually affirm his truth. It will not lead us astray from his word. And if it does, it's not his guidance. False churches serve as filters, as Juan Manuel Vaz, a Spanish pastor, explains of genuine regenerated Christians. We see the Apostle John speak about this in 1 John 2, 18 through 20, when he is speaking of the Antichrist. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all the knowledge. This is only because of God's word. His truth is self authenticating and the Holy Spirit's ministry is completely in submission to the Father's will. Therefore, those who the Spirit is in, they will only be led by God to God. As we have talked about before, Isaiah 54 13 says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of all your children. I've said this so many times in so many different places, but how orderly and merciful is God? Anyways, verse 18 then says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Other men and women over the ages in false religions have come to claim divinity for their own glory, calling themselves gods for the ultimate selfish interest in people's harms. Yet God Almighty is worthy of all praise and listen to what the Holy Spirit through Paul said in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which we also have quoted many times on this podcast, but we're going to do it once again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Has not Moses given the law? Yet none of you keeps this law. Why do you seek to kill me? So in the next passage, next week, we will have more of a dive deep into this specific verse. Now we'll be going back to this verse and we will see why Jesus said it and what he meant. So stay tuned. You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram at Deep Bible Studies and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.